Welcome to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm joined today by Jeff Freed, our Chief Technology Officer. And we're going to be talking about the 10 digital hallmarks of an expert. And in that process, introducing a piece of software that is not only incredibly powerful, but fantastically cool. If you have ever found yourself in the weeds in search of the right person in your institution to answer your most nagging questions. Jeff, welcome to Shared Insights. Thank you, Pete. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, appreciate those listeners spending uh, their time to learn about expertise finding. Well, we are. We're talking about expertise today. Can you kick off this conversation by explaining what expertise is in the context of today's discussion and why, frankly, it's such an important problem that we decided to devote resources to solving it? Well, I mean, we all have specific expertise, but as the world gets more and more, I say, complex, people have a multitude of different kinds of expertise. And finding the right person for a given situation becomes more and more important. And I think that gets into a big question, though, right? Because you might be looking for me as a team member, or or you may not know that I would be an important team member, uh, because you may not know the whole suite of skills that I might be able to bring to the table if I'm only known as what's listed on my, say, employee profile on my intranet. Exactly. The more that we end up in this world of specialties, the more that people have all kinds of expertise that may not be known. You know, sometimes it's a situation where they want it to be known. For example, when you're putting together a new proposal for a client, you want to put your best foot forward. In other cases, it's not that they don't want to be known. It's that you may be looking for someone with not necessarily the most expertise in a scenario, but the right amount of expertise or the right level for a certain distance away from you socially. Uh, If I'm trying to get a question answered, maybe I want to consider whether someone's likely to answer my question based upon whether they know me or not. Okay, sure. So now we're, we are, we're taking into account that sort of degrees of separation. Yes. I don't know how many degrees you and I, Peter, from each other, but I know that I'm only three degrees from Kevin Bacon, and I'm told I'm six degrees from anyone on the planet. Indeed. And, but the Kevin Bacon one is the, obviously the one to be proud of. Clearly. We know that we have there is, there is um, power. There is a power in social authority. In, in getting our questions answered. Where do we go from there? The real thing is that people have a lot of subtlety to their expertise. What's in your formal profile is rarely a complete answer or even a sufficient answer. Um, and in many organizations, the corporate directory is a long, bygone idea. Wasteland. Wasteland. They People don't keep it up. Yeah. So even the formal information about you may be out of date or incorrect. Uh, I actually personally went out and looked at all the solutions on the market for finding the right people. And all of the literature and the most successful kind of systems. And it's fascinating because it is truly an unsolved problem. We discovered through lots and lots and lots of research that there's some hallmarks around what we call somebody's digital footprint, not just your formal profile, but all of the things that are around you and your behavior in in computer land that we can actually get at 
from a software perspective. And and if this question steers us in the wrong direction, please you know put me back on track. But it sounds like one of the things that you're doing, and one of the things that I have long sorely missed, is being able to tie together the the behavioral characteristics of sort of my digital identity uh, with the internal systems. And for for a long time, those internal systems and my external behavior and as you say, digital footprint were completely separate things. Absolutely. And as you know, if you know BA Insight, one of the things that we're really good at is the connection across systems and the correlation of information that might otherwise be siloed. So your formal profile, your team behavior, your social media behavior would ordinarily be quite separate, and we're able to bring them together and take advantage of that in order to get at these very um, elusive aspects of expertise finding. Is is now a good time to walk through, to begin walking through what makes uh, a, a an expert, an expert, these 10 hallmarks? Sure. All right, let, let's start with number one. Well, I think the first one is if you're an expert, you tend to also be an author because you are both sharing your expertise, either by writing or speaking. And seeing what you've written, both internally and externally, is a really good signature of what you are experienced in and what you are good at. So that's number one. That contribution to the body of knowledge. Yes. Okay. And number two is related to that. It's really citations. It's not just that you've written something, but you're cited, you're mentioned, explicitly, both in internal and external material. And you're probably familiar with this if you've ever done academic publications or or patents, the whole idea that if your paper is mentioned by others, it's probably a good paper. The same thing actually happens inside of organizations that people's, for example, client reports are mentioned or people's subject or project information is referred to by others and that citation is a, another key hallmark of somebody's expertise. Yeah, we're building that authority. Yes. So it's, it's your contribution, your citation, and then number three is the consumption of what you've written, which is actually different than the citation. It's how much you are read. So the degree to which your writings or your talks are attended or written, et cetera. And also the ratings on that authored material tell a lot about the authority and the quality of the contribution. So those three sort of together, what you write and speak, your contribution, how it's cited and mentioned and used by others, and how much it's consumed and rated, those are one, two, and three. Those uh, really are talking about the contributions of the the individual, the expert, so to speak. And then we get into more of the, the behavioral sort of organizational uh, contributions as we move into number four. Yeah. You can tell if someone is a go-to person within a team or on a project through membership in that project. Often, for example, in SharePoint, if there's team sites, you can look at how much you may have contributed to that particular team site especially those professions that bill by the hour, you know, consultants, lawyers, mm -hmm. doctors, etc. you can look at how people are brought into projects as specialists. That's both in terms of how many projects. So I, I noticed recently that I contributed to 70 projects this year within BA Insight, 
just by looking at our project management system. Now, I may not spend a lot of time on any one of them, but I am the go-to person for particular subjects within those projects. So number four is your project and team contribution. And number five is what I call the tough problems scenario that, for example, in billable hour roles, again, the billing on particular subjects is probably the most authoritative sense of expertise that there is. If somebody is has a higher billable hour rate or, or, or rate, uh, you know, the number of billable hours is high, they are likely somebody who uh, is able to solve tough problems? Yes. For example, in law firms, we work a lot, a lot with law firms, mm-hmm. they fill out their billing sheet in 10-minute increments typically, and they often put in a comment about, what did I do for that? And that there's a incentive to, as part of your regular work, make that being a meaningful comment. And that's a goldmine in terms of understanding what someone worked on for the next time that a related subject comes up. I worked with a nonprofit organization that had that was able to look at where people's projects had been involved in order to put together a response to the Ebola crisis. Nobody had Ebola in their profile. It just wasn't something you'd think about. Right. And no one really had experience in Ebola from any publication standpoint because it came out of nowhere. But related things in infectious diseases and some of the attributes of Ebola could be found from people's participation in related projects. Those um, contributions in teams and really the billing notion for those that are that do bill as number four and number five are really powerful indicators of someone's areas of expertise, as well as their sort of social connections. Number six, seven, and eight seem to get back into uh, some of the uh, more individual kind of contribution characteristics. Uh, Number six, for example, individuals are willing to share their expertise. What does that mean and how is that different than number one? The areas in number one, authorship of published material, is formal. That's something you would put on your resume, Mm -hmm. as is papers or presentations you might give. But increasingly, people are working in social forums that might be in a system like Yammer or in LinkedIn or in social media forums in, uh, for example, in if you're a software guy around Microsoft, there's areas called TechNet. Your postings in TechNet, which forums you're in, et cetera, you might not even think of those when you, you know, you wouldn't put it on your resume. It's not a published paper. It's a bunch of short questions you answered for somebody. So that kind of social behavior in forums, that is a big signature. And it's different than what you formally have written or not. Okay. In, informal versus formal participation. That, that yes. makes sense. Right. And similarly, the, your perception as experts, there's lots of systems and you see this if you are, I don't know, do you use um, uh, LinkedIn much, Pete? You know, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not one of the most active, but I do use LinkedIn and, and groups behavior as well. You might have noticed this feature that LinkedIn provides that allows you to provide recommendations for people or even tag them as having expertise in a particular area. Absolutely, yes. That is number eight in this top 10, combined with you know recommendations, ratings, and, and followers. I don't know, I've, I've recently started tweeting 
and I still feel somewhat silly about it, it's remarkable how you can tell the level of following somebody somebody gets. And that's similar to the formal citations of number two, but it's, again, very informal in, in the sense that it's a social behavior, recommendations, ratings, et cetera. And there have been some very deep research in how accurate people's individual perceptions of their expertise are and how accurate people's perceptions of somebody else's expertise. And they're both quite lousy. If you were to try to make an expertise finding system based completely on recommendations and ratings, it would be pretty bad. You, you would get basically what whoever was most active and who had friends that were willing to rate them. Well, and that's that actually that that gets to to my biggest challenge with, you know, you use the LinkedIn example that that when when I am ranked, it's because somebody saw my name flash up at the top of their profile and they may have rated me as an expert in such and such a field or they may have just wanted to get rid of that little pop-up. And you go sort of whatever. Yeah. Sure. I'll say Pete is an expert in uh, skateboarding. Exactly. The quality of the information from these kind of forums and ratings is remarkably low. And especially in situations where, you know, the choice of an expert matters, it's important to at least be able to trace back why somebody was recommended. For example, let's say you have an expertise locator system effectively picking the person to get the next job. You might care why you're rated higher than the next person because that'll affect your livelihood. And these, these you know, recommendations and ratings are really easy to game. Yet, they're really powerful in aggregate. If you look at the natural ratings, recommendations, and followers, they are often a signal of expertise that you don't find in any other system. That leads us, I think, to the last two points on now these formal qualifications and positions. I often get people who are, argue with me about whether the formal qualification should be as low on the list as we often have them. And so the formal qualifications, meaning your education, your certifications, what's on your resume, is number nine on our list. And your formal position, whether you're a supervisor, whether you are a senior, junior, et cetera, is number 10. That's actually not because that's the weight we give it in a particular system. It's because it's fairly obvious and also quite sparse. The granularity of somebody's education and whether you got a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in a subject, by the time you're 10 years post-school, doesn't really have that much bearing on what you're doing today. And, and these days, in particular, the likelihood of you actually working in the field in which you graduated is less. Yes, but it is important to count and important to have in that profile. This is the stuff that's most likely to be in your profile, mm -hmm. although it's remarkably spotty in most systems because people don't fill it out or pay attention to it. If you have a scenario that where you have a public bio that's short, that's probably the thing you pay the most attention to. And most people keep up a resume. I've found that it's really easy to take that resume and parse it. You know, for example, I haven't filled in my LinkedIn profile because who cares about old jobs? But if I just take my resume and I give it to software that knows how to read it, it's pretty easy to lay that all out. 
similarly in terms of your formal position in an organization. In some places it matters, in other places it really doesn't. So this is the this is the reported stuff, the self-reported stuff, whereas much of what we've been talking about earlier, m- many of the points are around our, our behavior and our contribution. All 10 of these points really roll into uh, a what is... Um, I would imagine a, a much more balanced sort of uh, review of what it would mean to be an expert. Yeah, the the problem of expertise lo- location has been is, is a perennial problem. The systems that people use have gone through various generations. Most of the current systems for expertise location come from a world 15 years ago where there was a corporate directory and your formal qualifications were up to date. And there weren't all of these informal signals. Simply by taking a fresh look at it, we're able to bring in not just the formal qualifications or just formal qualifications and authorship, but this whole range of your, if you will, your your digital footprint. That's part of what's cool about it is you're getting all of these signals that are otherwise in different places and bringing them together into a more balanced picture. The contribution of these signals that has largely historically been ignored by uh, departments in the organization that really only care about the directory. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, y- you may care about looking at someone's LinkedIn or Facebook profile at time of hire, but beyond that, you're not really watching what they're doing out in the world. And And trying to get people to fill in these things hardly ever works. It has to be a, a byproduct of what they're doing in their regular job and in their regular regular world, which also comes a little bit to what I think of as the special sauce of our expertise locator. You know, the first point is that it's bringing in all of these elements from your digital life, which is very rich now for most people. The second is that we're able to make it easy to make trade-offs and to see why different people have different levels of expertise. Most typically, you're either looking for, uh, call it relatively broad expertise. I'm looking for somebody that is great at digital marketing around this particular domain. And that's relatively broad, in which case you're going to get a lot of people and you're looking at who's better than somebody else according to different criteria. What we've done is make it so that that's a very visual process. You'll get an answer very quickly. Then you can play with it simply by taking a slider back and forth, saying, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with someone with fewer years of experience if they have a closer connection to me organizationally." The other scenario that happens a lot is that there's a very rare combination of skills. I had a, a customer who was looking for somebody who knew a lot about aerodynamics and you know airplane engine design and also particular pollution controls and had an experience of being a, a legal witness so knew something about law and there was nobody that was really strong at all three i i can imagine that would be hard to come yeah, by yeah exactly it's, it's hard so trade offs between them then become sort of a natural natural thing. So if you have in our expertise locator product, we've tried to make that really natural so that either these, I'll say, trade-offs between a large pool or trade-offs between nobody meeting your criteria or even trade-offs uh, and exploration of preferences can be 
really easy to understand for the user. Can you talk just briefly about how you handled that the problem of visualizing this challenge of, of characteristics, of, of giving the user an opportunity to really visualize how they want the Venn diagram of characteristics to look as they search for expertise? Was that, was that a particular challenge or did it just come to you guys? I, I went through all this academic literature about what is effective and there's a, a group called the HCIR, Human Factors in Information Retrieval, that had a, a contest for expertise location. It was great. There were about 40 different visualizations of this. I've looked at most of the commercial systems that were also, frankly, experiments. You, you do something that somebody thinks is good. And that gave a great sense of what worked and didn't work in these domains. And I took the best academic system then built off of that the robustness of what you need to do in the real world. So sliders are pretty natural. Something that people are used to, you know, comparing cars, comparing dishwashers. Exactly. And the paradigm of comparison shopping works quite well. And there are certain dimensions, years of experience, you know, degrees of expertise in a particular domain that fit sliders extremely well. So if you can make the controls, as we discovered, easy and have the feedback be really quick, then the exploration is pretty natural. So you are obviously a demonstrated, well-sought-out expert in the organization. Uh, How has using the expertise locator impacted you in your ability to find the experts in your institution? That's a great question, Pete. I haven't thought about it that much, but there are two things that I notice sort of right away. The first is that I'm more likely to say, is there anybody that has this I could go find out if there was someone that had these combinations or this amount of experience. So I do that much more. And sometimes I don't even talk to them. I don't reach out to them. I just am able to go, okay, Sarah has some great experience and I immediately see what she's written about it and that's all I need. The other thing that I've noticed a lot is that I've learned a lot about the people I work with that I never would have known. Oh, that's fascinating. I have my own sort of mental image of people and what they know that's based only on how I've worked with them in the past. And when you pull in all of this supporting information, I'm constantly surprised at how amazing the people I work with are. That's amazing because you're you're really defining how this technology and this this piece of software uh, has had a cultural impact on the organization. At least on me. You know, I'm, I'm more likely to reach out and see what's out there. And I really am more in awe of my coworkers and enjoy the aspect of working with them. Now, it's obviously still early. This is a a new product, and many of your largest customers have not yet experienced it. But in terms of of your experience rolling this out to to customers to help you test and learn more about it and their reaction to it, what has your experience been so far? Uh, Is it a hand-to-glove kind of situation? Is there a a learning curve in terms of their uh, adaptation to it? What are you seeing? At this point, all I can say is that people that sit in front of it on a pilot basis and try it have a very positive reaction quite quickly. What's your sense of when more of your customers will be able to begin to use Expertise Locator? We are ready for them to use it now. We've just gone through a internal test period and use of this ourselves. We are working with early customers and we're excited about working with more companies to apply this 
product to a real-world problem that many, many people have, have told us it matters. All right, all right. Last question, personal question. When you look at the work that you and your team have done to, to release this product, what is the feature or, or benefit that you're most proud of, that you're most excited for people to see? Great question. I, if I picked just one, it would be the criteria trade-off. It would be, okay, I, I have a set of experts. How do I easily trade off the different attributes, what I call sort of the mixing boards. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a chance to get hands-on, go take a look at it. And I'm always open for feedback because you can always be better. Uh, I'm particularly proud of that element of the product. Well, this has been a fantastic uh, conversation, Jeff, and a great introduction to not only what expertise really is in our, our digital age, but how you have how, how you have sort of waded into the waters of expertise to try to to illuminate the expertise that's in our own organizations. I think that's a it makes for a really powerful um, addition to this set of software uh, offered by BA Insight. So I, you have obviously a lot to be very very proud of and very excited about. Well, thanks. It's been fun to talk about. I, I guess the last question, because you mentioned it, and so this is on you. Uh, what is your Twitter handle and where can people follow you for all of your uh, uh, your fantastic tweets? I, I, I won't say that they're fantastic, but uh, you can certainly <laughs> sample them. Um, I'm Jeff Freed, so it's at Jeff Freed with three Fs in the middle. All right. We'll be we'll be sure to put that in the show notes because that, that may be the highlight of this entire conversation is people having access to you on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff Freed, for your time, Chief Technology Officer at BA Insight. And everybody, make sure you head over to BAinsight.com, uh, and you can go straight to this new bit of software if you just go to slash expertise dash locator uh, on BAinsight.com uh, and, and dig into it a little bit. It is a fantastic solution to finding expertise that has long been lost in your organization. So very excited for people to get their hands on it. Uh, you can learn more about this podcast also at BAinsight.com. And you can subscribe for free in iTunes or podcast directory of choice. Thanks so much. On behalf of Jeff Freed, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time on Shared Insight, the podcast from BA Insight.